Hello, I'm Jane Daly and this is my podcast for people who know. As a thought leader and work-life activist, I'm curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Anne James started when I was one of her students as I was studying coaching at Henley Business School. Anne was an inspirational tutor and she introduced me to the phrase unlived. Anne, welcome to the podcast today. Hello, Jane. It's really good to meet you. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Sitting in the early morning sunshine um, with fresh air coming in through the windows, so in my element. Wonderful. Well, I'm delighted to speak to you today and I've been really excited about um, having a conversation with you about Unlived. But before we do that, just tell us a little bit more about you. That's an interesting question that, Jane, isn't it? Because when I hear people ask that question, I kind of take a deep breath and think, here we go, we're going to get the whole sort of life story. Um, So heeding that, I think, you know, what what can I say that might just be about me that is quite short, uh, but but captures something about me? And And I think what I would say about me is... I like to be surprised. Uh, I remember having a conversation a number of years ago with someone who said, you know, what are things that are really important to you in life? And I said, I like to have a surprise and an adventure every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you, Jane. I'm in my car, in a car park with a lovely view outside and a takeaway coffee. That constitutes an adventure because I'm doing something that most people are probably not able to do or choosing to do at this time of the day so I think there's something about the spirit of that that does tell you something about me um it's not biographical it's more about uh, a kind of little set of principles by which I choose to to live and like to bring into my everyday way of doing things and it's so true and and um We've certainly had a few adventures together <laughs> as well. So um, let's let's um, let's have an adventure now. Are you up for coming in the uh, the work life time machine with me? Oh yeah, let's do that. Sounds <laughs> like an adventure indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, so so let's get in. Let's get in the time machine. And uh, how's it feeling for you? Well, it's um, it's quite spacious actually. This time machine. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't feel at all hemmed in. I feel quite it feels like I'm in my little space. Uh, I'm I'm someone who quite likes to be uh, in a space on my own uh, with a little bit of the unknown going on. So I guess yeah, it's a bit like that. So let's see where it takes us next. Yeah, absolutely. Let's buckle up and get going. So I, I, I'm in control at the moment. I'll, I'll hand it to you later. But for now, I'm going to set the clock and we're going to go off to 1990. So, so let's arrive at 1990, 30 mm. years ago. And let me set the scene as to what's going on. It's um, a very interesting time uh, 30 years ago. We've got Nelson Mandela being released from prison. I mean, what a moment yes, that was. Yeah. And, and, and an end of an era as Margaret Thatcher resigned as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Um, and that was following um, some crazy rioting and mass demonstrations that were going on around the poll tax that was introduced in that period of time. Mm-hmm. The Simpsons was aired on TV for the first time. Um, and as we all know, Simpsons mm-hmm. is going strong and well now. And what was really interesting, um, and it's it's part of our lives today, and I'm sure we pick this up, is that the, uh, the World Wide Web was, uh, was making 
its way into the world. It had already started the year before, but Tim Berners-Lee in 1990 had made a formal proposal. He published that and that's where it all started. So what a year, Anne. What was what going on for you? Do you know what? That's brought so much back. And, and I want to say something about the World Wide Web in a moment, because I, I do remember saying oh, I'll never catch on or words to that effect. But um, I, I, in 1990, so I had just about moved I was living before in South Wales and I moved to London and got we got married and I'd moved up to London a year before um on what felt at the time like you know the first big step on my in my career so when I'd finished uni I'd done a couple of uh, really interesting jobs um but but sort of not quite where I wanted to be so London beckoned off I came and I had got myself a job in the broadcast sector in the radio sector so I was really excited about all of that uh, and I remember you know being so full of anticipation uh, and it paid off you know I absolutely loved it loved living in in West London and the commute I remember friends thinking it was a bit odd that I said I love the train journey every day you know so I remember that um, I also recall, and, and this is really funny, uh, it's just come into my mind, I needed to recruit an assistant for the organisation I was working with and I recruited a young woman who was 17 years old and I remember being blown away by her talent and her enthusiasm and as I think back on that, and I'm still friends with her uh, and she's now 47 of course, and I remember at the time uh, being so delighted to have her there with me and now I think gosh 17 years old seems so so young uh, and and so that that really sticks with me so 1990 we were buying our first flat uh, and I'd started that new job I was enjoying my commute 17 didn't seem young <laughs> and I you know I, it was all really exciting actually and over the subsequent three or four years, uh, I continued to work in that broadcast sector and started to set my sights on, you know, what might I like to do with this. And there was a particular business that I thought I'd really like to go and work for them. Um, and I got to know them really well and then was invited to go and work for them. So that was a sort of about 1993. So am I jumping ahead in the time machine, Jane? Do you want me to pause? No, you, 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 no you're okay. I think I would just like to pick up your point yeah. on the worldwide. Yeah, because this, back, this well, this is where it comes in because I remember um, being offered this job in those days. It was, you know, come and have breakfast in a nice hotel with the CEO and the finance director and we'll create a job for you. That was how it worked. So I was absolutely over the moon to get this job and um, trotted off and started work with this business and it was interesting because I'm, I'm still friends this day to the people that I worked with people that I worked with there um, but within just weeks of getting into that role I had a bit of a sinking feeling in my tummy and I thought mm, not sure this is the kind of work life I want so it was not about the company the people or the job all of that you know tick the boxes um, but but that's a, another perhaps another branch of the story but to pick up the world wide web the CEO of that business was a really dynamic tech savvy creative wizard you know and he was absolutely into everything and we used to have every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m we used to have a staff meeting a production meeting to talk about all the programs that we were making and, and all sorts of other stuff and this, this one week, he said, right, next, next Wednesday, uh, everyone, he said, we're going to meet at this place, which is not in our office. It's uh, over in, I think it was in Charlotte Street, just in, in central London. Uh, and it's, it's an internet cafe. And we all looked a bit blank, or I certainly looked very blank because I hadn't even heard of one of these. 
And it was one of the first um, what came to be known as internet cafes, uh, where you could go and sit in front of a, a table with a huge machine on it, you know, the, the, the big sort of bulky desktop machines, and you could play away on this thing called the World Wide, World Wide Web. And uh, a few of us kind of looked at each other and said, oh, here he goes again, off on one of his, off on one of his fairy tales, you know. Anyway, reluctantly off we went. Um, and, and I just remember sitting in front of that machine, looking at it, thinking, oh, this isn't, this isn't for me. I just remember that feeling of this isn't for me. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'll just head back to the office and crack on with the things I've got to do. So that is my first memory ever of a direct interaction with the World Wide Web. Um, it's incredible, yeah. isn't it? it really and it's is, so real, you know, but it's still so real, you know, for me. And that was a great area of London, yeah. Anne. I mean, um, you know, you just mentioned there that, you know, for you, there was a sinking feeling. Tell us a bit more about that and, and what you did about that. Well, I think it, it's, it's a feeling that's still familiar to me. It's, it's when there's something that I'm kind of told I need to get used to or to go and find out about or go and learn. And I, I don't have perhaps a more intrinsic motivation for doing that. So I guess at a, a simple level, what kicks in for me is that I don't really need to, to do that or to change or to bring that into my world. I'm doing fine as I am. So I, you know, I have a sort of inherent resistance to change that is um, put toward me rather than, you know, change that I seek out maybe, uh, which is, which was an interesting lesson because um, it, where that went was within just two or three months uh, of that experience, the company that I've been talking about where I worked introduced its own internal email system, which was, you know, this was front of the queue. This was top end stuff. And we had this, um, I think this software package was, I think it's called something like CC Mail, and it meant you could email your colleague at the next desk or upstairs in the, the other office. <laughs> so it was an email system for within the building. And, and, you know, that was just phenomenally astonishing that you could do that, I remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, previous to that fax, I know, previous to that fax machines, and yeah. it, it was only 30 years ago, because like, I know when I tell, you know, younger people those kind of things, mm. and they sort of, you know, because most of them have grown up, particularly the emerging workforce today, have grown up with digital all around them. They don't really get that change. But, um, you know, before we get back into the time machine mm. and uh, you and I move move into a different direction, looking back at that time, you know, what advice would you give your, your, your younger self? What advice would I give my younger self? Um, at, at one level, my first thought is to to be confident to be brave about listening to myself more perhaps though that's one of those things i'm hesitating jane because as i say that i think well yeah you would say that from later in life wouldn't you but i'm trying to kind of get my head back into where i was then i've actually felt that i listened to myself really well um uh, you know i've i've kind of, i think i've always been quite intuitive and quite in, in a way quite selfish in that i have thought about what do I want um what what might I want to take from going in this direction or maybe changing direction so I think that bit of advice is one that to an extent I probably took do you know what I think it would probably be more feel okay about listening to yourself yeah. that would that would be it yeah 
It's not the listen to yourself I did, but it's feel okay about it. That's a final thing to do. And it's actually something I say to my daughter now, who's who's 21. Feel okay about listening to yourself. It's always there, isn't it? It's always there, but but there is often a guilt around it. Yeah, and a Um, wondering. You know, that gut feeling, Mm. you know something isn't right. Yes. it's interesting, isn't it? I, I I like that. Well, let's let's you and you and I arrive in uh, in in twenty twenty, um, and it's an interesting terrain that you and I have arrived in. Yeah, I felt the uh, breeze on that thirty year whiz <laughs> forward. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, we we clearly look younger than we did in nineteen ninety. I mean, that's what I noticed as as, as we arrived. But um, you know, talk to me about you know today and mm. and, and what this climate. Yeah, what what are you observing? So uh, my my thinking goes to several levels um, there. So what am I observing in the kind of system within which we find ourselves? What am I observing about the, the system I've carved out for myself within that? And then I'm also thinking about what I'm observing in people, women particularly, that I'm close to and who I've come to know. And, and that's it's kind of quite a philosophical line of thinking in a way for me Jane because I I have quite clear uh, and strong views on the unhealthiness of the way that we live at the moment that many of us live and and also a a kind of a sadness and a, a crossness about the limited choices that many of us have to do things differently so on the one hand uh you know I I have aimed to stay true to my uh, values around listening to myself following my instincts carving out a way of living that achieves a balance though of course balance is only something you recognize when there are times when you're out of equilibrium you know you you cannot recognize balance unless you've been out of it but I, i do think that the way that we are required to live and it's changing actually there's been a change in these very recent months but more generally speaking the way that we are required to live at such a pace takes away from individuals the the options and the choices around finding balance that is healthy for them it's been really interesting you know we're having this conversation Jane as we're coming out of this period of what is it now four months where we've been through the coronavirus crisis and the lockdown and it's been fascinating really to to go through that it's been horrid in many levels it's been frightening uh, it's also been fascinating to see you used the word accelerated earlier you know to see the acceleration in the changes and the shifts that systems societies businesses households communities and individuals have had to make you know how changes that we may have longed for even um, but seemed impossible have just had to happen so you know I think we're having this conversation at a time where many people have been of necessity put into a position of having to re-examine how they live their lives and how we do things and discovering through through the pain and the the horror of much of what has happened in these months but discovering through that the surprise that it is possible to do things differently and to be different so i'm you know that's still a very live line of reflection for me and, and i've noticed that that for me i mean i i 
tend to plough my own furrow a bit anyway. You know, I'm, I'm by nature um, quite a contained, introverted individual. I live my life in quite a, a small space, <laughs> not, not physically speaking, but metaphorically. So day to day, this last few months has probably, apart from around the margins, um, at, a, at a very personal level, not been that different for me in how I've lived. But still, I notice the differences. I notice the change uh, in others around me, um, some of which I welcome, some of which makes me concerned. You know, and I think um, you've raised some really interesting points there. I mean, you know, your, you know, the way that you like to live your your life, um, you know, coming back to unlived and, and this element of surprise and adventure which which is interesting um mm. but you know for me um there was two really important things that struck me by what you were saying you know one is about you know some of the unhealthiness of stuff that um has been going on and you know this area of having limited choices and i know that's where you know some of the work that you and i talk about and and where some of our work meets that's where we we tend to have some very interesting conversations and try and help people unlock some of those elements because it is it is very very it's a very difficult time you know we are seeing some stuff that is starting to make sense yeah. and you're sort of thinking wow that is really interesting and that could really help and and change things like you know the flexibility of work yeah. where people have had ridiculous travel journeys to work traveling home being really stressed about you know, having to maybe pick up family or yes. care for somebody else and just being exhausted yes. just with a travel element of work alone. And maybe it's going to give them an opportunity to work in a field or a profession that they really want to, but not have to have the, some of those gruelling travel elements, yes. which could really help them. But then on the other hand, you've got people that are incredibly worried about, you know, sort of asking for flexibility, even though it's becoming more normal, mm. um, still feeling that guilt of asking for flexibility with the concern that they may not have a job at all. Mm. And I think that this is now the time to be questioning those things that are unhealthy and, and are giving people limited choices. Mm. Although lots of organisations who have the power to give people jobs say yeah. they do things. Yeah. In fact, in reality, they actually, there's no substance to that. That's right. Jane, it's just got me thinking that you and I do most of our work with leaders, with people in positions of influence in, uh, in business, uh, in organisations. And when I talk about you know, how, how critical it is for me to have choice and to have flexibility, I do that in the full knowledge that it's kind of a luxury to have that and not everybody does. So in the work that you and I do as coaches, I think it's really important that we focus our, our energies and our uh, endeavours around people who are in a position to influence and change the systems within which others work. Those others being perhaps individuals who, as a consequence of the structures within which they work, have very limited choices and flexibility. So, you know, you, you, what one can coach really successfully somebody um, to a position of getting very excited about having choices and options. But then when they get back into the system within which they have to live their lives, if that system cannot accommodate those aspirations, it's, it's just not going to happen for them. 
So in working with the creators of the systems, I'm really curious about how we can support means by which we can yeah, almost kind of encourage leaders to be bold and brave and courageous enough themselves to break the mold, to think about how else they might be able to provide environments and working structures for people that empower them to be able to live their lives in a more balanced way. And you know, someone said to me the other day, you know, it's a bit of a pipe dream. It's just not going to happen because if you've got to turn up at work every day at a, at a factory or warehouse where you're, you're in a hands-on role, you, you know, you have to be there to do the job. You know, that's just not going to happen. There's a, there's a bit of me that kind of says, yeah, okay, maybe we should just give up on it then. But there's a bigger bit of me that says, you know, this matters so much that there, we, we have to strive to find ways. Because even a tiny bit of that new feeling of having choices and influence over one's life, even just a little bit of that is is hugely impactful on one's health, one's sense of um, being in charge of, of how one lives and of feeling empowered. So I'm not going to give up on that. Me neither, mm. Anna. I, I'm totally with you. I, mm. um, I, I think for me, it's 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 changing that field of view mm. for, as you say, people that are in those positions of influence. And um, you know, often you know, there's so many blind spots. And I think, you know, as long as you can, you know, show them the whole picture of look. Yes, obviously there are some commercial elements to what we do. And if you bring people with you, you can have all of that yeah. and so much more. And also how organisations' responsibility sort of spills out to even the the society that they're working within. Mm. So it's all possible. So it, and it is sometimes harder, but it but once. It's, a, it's only really harder at the beginning. Once you get that momentum going, mm. what you find is it actually runs itself when you actually align the right things. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anybody, um, there are some people that set out to get it wrong. But in the main, in my experience, I think people are just not aware and, and they become conditioned and they often can't then see what impact their decisions are making mm. on people that are not in those positions of influence mm. and once they do see it I very much see the itchiness of change within those people that have yeah. the influence the, um, and once they get that bug it's incredible and it's that first bit of change that's the toughest uh, in in my experience when we talk about that that kind of resistance to change even at the the most senior levels it's it's rarely if ever because there's an intentional um, commitment to making life bad for people you know it's because the people have got their heads down conscientiously just getting by making things work making the business run making sure that they can pay everybody's wages you know and it's that's a that's a, a massive uh, amount of energy wrapped up in that and so you know it, it's eyes down keep going keep going keep going and it's it's that initial ability or opportunity to just pause for a moment and look at what else might be possible and just the tiniest little change particularly change of perspective or mindset that can then you know bring this exponential um growth to the subsequent change that can be possible but it's that first step i think that whether it's individual change whether it's a one-to-one -one coaching client that you're working with wanting to deal with something that they just haven't managed to crack yet 
once you get that first little bit of impetus and switch in perspective or maybe you identify some sort of an assumption that they've been holding on to that turns out to not be true once you get that it does make it easier not easy but easier for more change to follow uh, but it's that first it's cracking that first bit that is the big challenge isn't it it absolutely is Anne. and what great advice um, for anybody looking to you know adapt and accelerate um, you know just just unlocking mm. that first bit mm. because the treasures beneath that are um, unlimited yeah. quite frankly yeah, and unlived yeah, yeah. <laughs> unlived. lots of surprises <laughs> I, I love I, you know I love some of that surprises but let, let's let's um let's you and I get back in this time machine and move forward mm. because um, you know I really want to get your view um, as we uh, as, as we move to the future so we're uh, so let's set this clock for 2030, which is um, you know, only nine years away, but, but going to be a significant milestone, um, 2030. So, so what do you foresee? You see, I'm not a big one for foreseeing, Jane. So I love that you've asked me that question because it challenges me. Because um, my, my, <laughs> my, my default is to stay very much with what's what's in the here and now you know what's going on around me now and won't it be interesting to see where that leads so I almost resist foreseeing I remember once being asked you know what is your goal this was quite early in my career actually it was the it was the chief executive of the business that I told you I went to work for and I thought god I really made it I'm, I'm here I'm in this place and in this job and he said what, what's your goal then Anne and I said oh I don't want to be distracted by a goal and I and I I just really remember that response that I had, and there's something about foreseeing or setting aspirations or targets that I intrinsically resist. Um, and I, I wonder where that's come from, because it, it's almost like by by having that as my focus, what is the opportunity cost, and therefore other things I might not notice. So I'm ducking your question here because I've had lots of practice at ducking such questions. But as I do look ahead to to 2030. I guess that I would like to envisage a stage in, in my life and that the people around me and the, the, the wider systems and community around me, I'm not going to comment on the world at large, goodness me, um, but, but you know that which kind of is within my awareness. I would like to envisage that there is some, some payoffs, some evidence, some some joyful consequences of particularly what we've been going through in these recent months being sustainable um you used the word unlived a couple of times it's a word that i've brought to our conversations jane and we've talked about a lot uh, and i think in all of us you know there is always going to be stuff that's unlived by definition because we have future ahead of us but there is also stuff that's unlived in time gone by already so my hope for the next 10 years, for, for me, those close to me, those dear to me, and, and for others that I don't know yet, would be that 10 years from now, they have lived something that today is completely outside of their awareness or today might be within their awareness, but with a tinge of regret because it's something they haven't yet done or something they haven't yet experienced and maybe have consigned to the the little sort of box that says well it's too late now or i've missed my opportunity 
so there's a there's a hope that goes with that there's a a spirit of adventure that goes with it and that there's certainly lots of surprises potentially wrapped up in going out to to live the unlived whether it's something you know about or something that you've missed i love it i i i uh how exciting to be looking at this uh this this zone which i know you don't want to be in i know and i and i hear that <laughs> good job i'm not running and, good and, job i'm not running a country isn't it you know if, if i were running a country or even a business with that mindset i'd be i'd be really on the skids wouldn't i <laughs> let's, no, let's just see where be, it goes <laughs> it would be an adventure absolutely but but Anne, look i know that you do a huge amount of work with women mm. and you mentioned it you mentioned it yourself you know it's a difficult time for um, women at the moment. I mean, I, and I'm really not playing the victim card. What I mean is that any way you look, um, you know, there is evidence, there is real fact that change is not happening fast enough mm. um, and deep enough for real change to happen. There's sort of surface tinkering going on. And, and I, I would, you know, what words of wisdom could you give to people that are listening who are working with women who are women who believe in you know empowering women what advice would you give to people in order to really get that level of depth so that we do see sustainable change I suppose the thing that first comes to mind for me having worked with and talked to a lot of women the advice I would give to those in the know <laughs> those in positions where they can bring about change would be you know, just pause and listen, you know, just tap into the, the wisdom of the woman is a lovely phrase that uh, I, I heard from um, a, a hero and mentor of mine, a woman called Joan Anderson. The wisdom of woman, you know, is something which is largely untapped. And, and she says that, you know, we women will get on and engage with our wisdom regardless. Um, but unfortunately, the wider world is denied it because it doesn't listen. <laughs> so there's something about the wisdom of women, something about the capability of women to just get on and make get on and make things happen, sort things out, make sure that things are okay. Um, that gets drowned uh, and gets lost in wider, bigger systems, which are not really designed, I don't think, to open their ears uh, and to pause <laughs> in order for that wisdom to be expressed. And receive what amazing advice and as always and i'm reflecting on that now i'm going to be really brave now mm. and i'm going to hand over this time machine to you now it's really precious oh. to me. i trust you for some unknown reason <laughs> so where are we it's over to you where are we going and why where are we going and why so can it be anywhere anytime any anywhere anytime it's entirely up to you you're in control oh goodness jane i've never driven a time machine before this is um Oh, this is quite a challenge. Uh, and I just noticed that my thinking is going off in several directions. And oddly, the first thought that's come to my mind is taking me right back to school. As I don't know about your experience with coaching, often thoughts go back to school when um, we, we are having conversations with people where they're seeking to understand the present. And my thoughts have gone back to two very influential people in my world, then my English teacher, my maths teacher who also happened to be husband and wife. And so we were all at school together, so to speak. And I was choosing my A-levels. And I think that was probably the first recollection I have of needing to make what I felt to be a significant choice that would impact my future. Up to then, you know, the choices had been much more 
much simpler, much more immediate and didn't appear to have that longer term impact. And I remember talking to both of them, should I do English or should I do maths at A-level? Because then you couldn't really do both. You know, you went in one direction or the other. And I remember sitting down with both of them. The three of us sat down together in the school canteen. And they said to me, look, Anne, you need to make the decision. We had a chat at home last night, they said, and we both want you. And we think that you would do okay, whichever of those choices you make. So we both want you, we would both welcome you. So you just have to go with what your heart tells you. And you know what, that was so inspiring and moving. And I knew straight away um, which direction I wanted to choose. And I'm still in touch with them. Uh, those teachers are now well into their 80s. And interestingly, um, the, 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 the wife of the couple, my English teacher, is currently living in the same care home as my parents. And every time I visit them, I see my English teacher and my math teacher. So fast forward in the time machine to last week, actually, when I saw them both. And uh, even though she's not able to remember those days, we, we still, I still have conversations with her husband about, you know, how you're getting on making your choices these days, because he remembers that conversation. So isn't it fascinating that they have come into this conversation with me today? Yeah. Spanning they, 30 years. What, and that was the first time, Jane, that I remember feeling the power of someone telling me to listen to myself. I like it. Mm. What an inspiring story. Mm. And honestly, it has been an absolute pleasure to be in the time machine and talk to you today all about, um, you know, surprising oneself and mm. having a go mm. and that topic of um you know what what's unlived uh, it, it really has thank you so much and i know that you've shared three things that we will make sure are available to people um once they've listened to the podcast um you know if, if they want to go even deeper mm. into some of the areas that you've talked about today and thank you so much thank you jane i'm going to leave it I'm curious about which year you're leaving me in. Am I back in the present day now? <laughs> Surprise yourself. I'm going to let you go for it. You, you, you're already enjoying, enjoying the day. So um, you're already having the most amazing adventure already. So um, I'll let you carry on with that throughout your day. Thank Jane, you, Anne. Thank you.